Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. My mom can understand this show. Love my mom. But... These dragons all have personalities. They all look different. Going to be, I think Damon, and, and I, it's just a prediction for this show, I think Damon is going to be the most loved and most hated character on the show. There, It's simple. The plot will still have its usual uh, array of twists and turns. Hello and welcome to the big stream. I am Liam McEwen. With me today is my coworker and fellow Game of Thrones fan, Ryan Phillips. And we are here to discuss the second episode of House of the Dragon. Once again, proud to be the only podcast to be covering this niche show. Interesting second episode. We're excited to talk about it. But I think the first order of business for me and for everybody else who tuned in on Sunday night was uh, seeing the new intro for the show. Uh, They ended up keeping the same music, which I thought was an interesting creative decision. Visually, it it lived up to expectations, I think. Uh, Everybody had, in terms of inconsequential expectations, this was definitely the highest as far as how they were going to riff off the iconic, many have said, Game of Thrones intro. And it looked awesome. Very reminiscent of all of like the great HBO shows that kind of came out around then with these elaborate multi-minute intros. But they did keep the same music. They decided to keep with the, you know, keep it Game of Thrones, even though it's a different show. But they decided to keep that through line, which I thought was an interesting creative decision. Overall, intriguing episode, a lot more setting up. But uh, here's Ryan. Ryan, what do you think? Uh, first of all, the intro, very controversial online. A lot of people thinking, you know, they should do their own thing or whatever. I did think it was interesting. The the setup, I, w- I watched it again a couple times just to see what was going on. And it's, it's, it's a Targaryen, like, family tree, like, history of the family in it, which I think is interesting. I wonder if they will keep the same song forever or if that's going to be, like, a first season thing, just trying to connect it to old fans of Game of Thrones and give them something they're used to. Thought it was very interesting. This show, as we talked about, just a, a 5,000 foot view of it. And we talked before we went on the air, it's 
when Game of Thrones started, it was all these different people in all these different places that you had never met or heard of before unless you had read the books. You had really no idea what was going on, and they kind of slowly come together. This show is different. They're starting in one place with one group of people, you know, different, a couple different families, but really small contained show. And then it's slowly spreading out. And it's, it's a lot easier to follow than the first, you know, Game of Thrones. It was like, you had to get five episodes in and then you're like, okay, I kind of get what's going on here. This one, I feel like from the jump, you feel, you know, what's going on. And I will say, I think that this episode really moved the ball down the field. It's six months later than the first episode. And so, Things have changed and situations have changed and things have gotten what might have been a minor annoyance in the beginning is now dire. And so there's, it's really interesting how quickly things are moving and changing, yet it's still pretty easy to follow what's going on. Yeah, I spoke a little bit with Steve and Douglas about that on our last uh, House of the Dragon review for episode one, where this is a lot more condensed. Yes. Like they still go feel like it's not going to be that way. It's not going to be that way forever, but it feels yeah. that way at the start. Yeah. For right now, it's pretty condensed and they still go over the top to remind you that it's Game of Thrones. I mean, the first episode was almost as violent as most of the more violent Game of Thrones episodes with yeah. far lesser stakes on top of it all. And then the second episode opens with some dude getting his face eaten by crabs. We'll touch upon that later, but they still have, you know, the, the, they want to, they're trying maybe a little too hard to cultivate the atmosphere of the viewing experience of Game of Thrones. But in terms of the plot lines, in terms of the central characters, they really lay it out for you in episode one. And then episode two, they basically kick the can down the road. And they're like, all right, it's six months later and everything's a problem. Uh, the prince is a very big problem. And then we're going to kind of solve that. It's an interesting creative direction to take. And I think I personally think it's the right one because after the way that Game of Thrones ended, and we're going to have to just keep talking about that, but the obviously I think it would have been a little bit tougher for them to get people invested in the same sort of sprawling storylines that Game it of feels, Thrones It had. felt like a job to check in with Game of Thrones, and I liked it. It was entertaining, but it felt like you were, you had to like really think hard every week to figure out what was going on until it got going. My mom could understand this show. Love my mom, but... Like Game of Thrones would have been a little complicated for her to really grasp and definitely would have, you know, average viewer wouldn't have invested the amount of time required to really like grasp everything. This, I mean, it's simple. And I think there is something to be said for simplicity and there will be, you know, there was already the big plot twist at the end of episode two was the king wanted to marry Allison's Hightower and, uh, instead of the daughter of his cousin and Lord Corliss which obviously was not the best political power play, but there it's simple. The plot will still have its usual uh, array of twists and turns and surprises. But in terms of really like the central storyline there, it is about the It's about uh, heirs. It's about success, line of succession. Prince Damon isn't happy. Rhaenyra is going to have to try her best to fight off him and everybody else doesn't think a woman's going to be on the throne. And then the most important part of episode two is that they introduced their otherworldly villain. In Game of Thrones, things were really at its best when you had the political power play going along, along with some sort of external, you know, inhuman, literally in Game of Thrones, not so much in uh, House of the Dragon from the looks of it. Now they have a triarchy admiral named cargus crab feeder little on the nose with the name i think but he is feeding westeros soldiers to crabs and 
the end of the episode was about Lord Corliss uh, convincing Prince Damon to go and take care of that, to show up the king in a matter of speaking. But it does kind of feel like this guy has more of a larger role to play than simply being the way that Prince Damon elevates his stock, I would argue marginally, among the general population of Westeros. Yeah, I mean, the crab feeder is, you know, the nickname he's been given for what he does, which is feed people to crabs. Uh, and it, so what I think you're looking at, I want to talk about one specific element of this, is you're six months later, and the king is perceived as weak now, because his wife's died, he's kind of mopey, he's, you know, not accomplishing anything, he didn't marry right away, which he's expected to sort of, like, marry somebody right away to create new more heirs and all of that. And he's kind of being mopey and doesn't want to do anything. Damon has gone and taken over Dragonstone, which isn't his. And he's just kind of sitting there spitting in the face of the king because he was told to go with his wife to Runestone and settle there. And he's like, no, I'm going to Dragonstone, which is where the heir stays. So that's Rhaenyra's place. And he's gone and taken it. And then you've got these pirate, these guys like the crab feeder just destroying shipping and killing people and whatever and they keep begging him to do something about it uh corliss keeps begging him to do something about it and he won't do it so you're sort of looking at the king's weak and what's making him weak is the fact that he's not doing anything and he's taking it as like you know i'm being very measured i don't want to start a war i'm kind of taking my time like until this becomes an issue a real issue we're not going to address it and then damon steals a dragon's egg and all of a sudden it's a big deal because he says he's getting he's marrying his what seems like a prostitute that comes with it. didn't ever really spell that out fully, but she seems like a, either the prostitute or the madam. Well, she was and, in, she was in a whorehouse at the, the right. first episode, but they didn't explicitly out as it say. <laughs> yeah, they didn't explicitly say who she was or whatever. But um, so he's going to marry. I think her name's Masaria, and she because she's pregnant and. He took the dragon's egg because it has to go along with when a, when a Targaryen baby is born, they have to have a dragon's egg with them. And it, that's going to be their dragon, basically. And so Otto Hightower, or the king is, is so mad about this that he's going to go take care of it. And Otto Hightower is like, no, because Damon will kill you and then want to be the heir. So he goes, and the whole time, Rhaenyra is saying, hey, just send dragons and we'll get it back. Just send dragons and we'll get it back. And nobody listens to her. She's the heir to the throne, and nobody gives a hell what she said. And they go, uh, Otto Hightower goes with a contingent of knights, and they stand there at Dragonstone, and Damon's just basically threatening him to his face, and it looks like they're gonna about to start to fight, and all of a sudden, Rhaenyra flies in with her dragon and has a standoff and basically walks up to Damon and tells him, give me the egg back. Uh, this is actually my home that you're in, so get the hell, like, either, you know, back the hell off and give me the dragon. And it works. And all of a sudden, you've got a woman who might be the most powerful person in the realm because she's the one who will actually do shit. And so I, I think that that's, that's the story of the episode is that you're starting to see her become well, not a princess. She's starting to become like a queen. And then her father decides to marry somebody and it's her best friend. And the fact that her best friend and her father didn't tell her, hey, by the way, we've been hanging out. Just like you can see at the end of the episode, just crushes her. 
and, that so, and there was some uh, not so subtle hints in the first episode about there potentially being more than a friendship between yes. the two as they both grow into their ages and yes. things of that nature. But yeah, I mean, the balls that she has just gigantic rolling up to Dragonstone like that. That was pretty awesome. That was a, uh, I mean, all the scenes with the dragons are really going to be big and you would hope that. Well, I love that the called... dragons, I love it in this, in this version, like the Game of Thrones dragons all kind of look the same. There were, you know, sim. There were, there were little, little changes. These, these dragons all have personalities. They all look different. They, uh, it almost like reflects their rider, what they look like, and I, it's so cool. And so the scenes we've had with the dragons are way better than anything we got in Game of Thrones, in my opinion, because they're unique and different. And I mean, you know, the technology is better now than it was then. When you're creating these things, it just always gets better. And so you're just seeing such a different version of what dragons look like and uh I, it, they do all the scenes of them look so cool and it's more fun because it's a world now where dragons are commonplace people aren't like whispering about them in hushed tones in the same way that they do in game of thrones because in game of thrones they're all supposed to be extinct yeah but that was part of the other thing that was good about this episode was there was a lot of uh me and Steven, once again, spoke last week about how there's lots of show, or Game of Thrones likes to show rather than tell, but that was always going to be a little bit difficult for this particular show because the basis of the Targaryen throne is really rooted in like the ancient history of Westeros that George R. R. Martin wrote about, but that was only vaguely alluded to throughout the Game of Thrones series because obviously there's, you know, he wrote an entire tome about this shit. Like it was never going to be something that they could easily fit into Game of Thrones conversation, sure. especially given the events were centered like, you know, 300, 400 years later past when now that really mattered. And this show is 200 years before that. But so they told instead of showed a lot of the history about Valeria and about the dragons and all that stuff. And that was I, you know, I I didn't read the historical tome that this is based off of. So I think that was helpful for viewers. Mo not Maybe not most, but half the viewing population probably had no idea. And so they filled in a little bit about that, and like alluded to how, you know, the Empire fell and, and stuff like that. But yeah, the dragon scenes were awesome again. Um, I am looking forward to seeing them really in action because when uh, they were in action under Daenerys in the original Game of Thrones series, it was uh, it was really a sight to see. Allison seems to switch tacks here. Allison seems to be the new political power player who definitely did not look like one in the first one, or the first episode. Now, admittedly, she's being handled by her father right now. But if you wanted to predict a classic Game of Thrones twist, right now it seems that Allison killing her father, the hand of the king, would be near the top of my power rankings as far as likelihood to happen. She's going to, you know, she's smart. She's definitely smart. She seduced the king, although it doesn't seem like they have had sex yet, but no. she definitely seduced him. He would have married uh, his cousin, I guess, if uh, if she hadn't really pushed the envelope with all this the 12 year the 12 year old he was uh potentially promised to yeah that was an yeah. awkward it's, scene it's nice to see somebody finally uncomfortable with marrying someone that young by the way that they're like, related to also <laughs> on this show like finally we get somebody who balks at the idea of marrying a 12 year old even if circumstantially it makes sense for him um, um so watching watching those scenes with allison and the king i i get the feeling i think you're right that she's becoming a political power but in these scenes, I think she generally, genuinely feels bad for him and is genuinely trying to comfort him because she's been through the, you know, her death of her mother and he's going through that. So I think it's at first, I think it's awkward for her, but it seems like in this episode, they actually kind of enjoy each other's company, it, not in like a sexual way and not in a, a we're going to get married way, but just in a like it's somebody to talk to kind of thing. 
because I don't think she feels like she can talk to the king, or I mean, the, the her father, the hand. But she also, the only other person she can talk to is Rhaenyra, who is still grieving the loss of her mother. So there's no, she's not, you know, up for conversation. You know, I think they're both finding comfort in each other, but not in a, we're going to hook up way. And, but then, you know, when he picks her to be the new queen, I feel like she's just doing it to please her father. And so she looks kind of not happy, but she looks like, well, this is what's going to happen. And then Rhaenyra is furious. And I will say this. I think that uh, Emily Carey as Allison and Millie Alcock as uh, Rhaenyra have both been so good on the show in two episodes. Like they're just, they're very good at, they're basically leading the show. They're the main characters and they're both so good. And so they, they deserve credit because spoiler alert, they're not going to be around those two kids. Those two actresses are not going to be around a whole lot. Yeah. That's the disappointing part that I found out perusing after, uh, after the episode last night was that there's going to be some more time jumps and the yes, uh, yes. kid actors aren't going to be around very much, which is disappointing because they are very, very good. Really good. But them and Prince Damon does a tremendous job as well. Oh, Matt Smith. Yeah, Matt I mean, Smith. nobody's surprised Matt Smith is killing the gig right now, but like still. Like, I love that he went, from, he went from Doctor Who to, you know, guy who's going to be, I think Damon, it, and I it, just a prediction for this show, I think Damon is going to be the most loved and most hated character on this show. I think it's going to be the kind of thing where people either just love his swagger or cannot stand him, and it's there's going to be no in between. Yeah, and he's in a good position to do some like fucked up shit that really splits everybody's opinion on him. Yeah, uh, they, yeah. they're setting him up to really. I mean, especially if he breaks out the dragon and he starts using it, whether it be against the crab feeder or anybody else, there's a lot of potential there. Uh, one very interesting moment with his character, I think, came at the end of the episode where he was talking to Lord Corliss and. Lord Corliss was talking mad shit about his brother and Prince Damon got like kind of offended by that, which yes. is interesting because he doesn't, so, so, I mean, it's interesting because he, that doesn't exactly fit the bill of your traditional usurper. Right. And it maybe doesn't seem like he actually wants to take the throne from his brother right now. He just wants it when he dies, which yeah. obviously is a line that you can't really walk if you're going to be pulling that kind of stuff in the game of Thrones as it were. So I think that was the, uh, yeah, that was... you know, the subtle, the subtle hint towards a more interesting plot than perhaps what was laid out at the beginning of the first episode, which is pretty, a pretty simple line of succession problem, which I think is obviously necessary to keep people engaged, but also, I mean, I felt this way to an extent. I had others who felt more strongly about it, but while this show is different from Game of Thrones, the core aspect of everybody squabbling over who gets to sit in the seat is going to drive the show. Of and course. that can be uninteresting, especially if they did it anywhere near the same way that they did original Game of Thrones. So it'll be, I think that was like their first hint of being like, this isn't going to go the way you'd expect. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about that scene, that scene I think was really important. And, and not only for the fact that Corliss and... Damon are, are looking, they're going to hook up and they're going to combine their power because, you know, the Valerian family, Corliss's family are the most powerful. They're sort of like the um, the Lannisters, it seems like, in in Game of Thrones. Is that they have the most money, they have the most power, they control trade. So you kind of listen to whatever they say and if they suggest something, you kind of got to go along with it. So that was, that was interesting. He and Damon, who's out of favor with the crown, are going to hook up now. But I did think it was interesting that you got in. You, it, Damon became a much more complex character in that scene. That no, 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 I don't, I don't want to take. I, I'm not, I'm not taking shots at my brother. 
I just want what's mine. I want what's rightfully mine, which is that I'm the heir to the throne, basically. And I deserve Dragonstone. And I've been here and I want to be able to have the ability to prove myself, essentially, is what like. And you saw that a little at the end of the first episode where he's like, hey, no, I don't want to take your throne. I want to sit by your side. Like, that's what I want. And the king was not happy about it, you know, he, he because of it, the other things that he had done. But you expect him to say, like, no, no, I deserve the throne. And he, he didn't say that. He said, I want, to, I want to be with you. I want to rule with you. And so it does make him a much more complex character than just the guy who's trying to get the throne and is going to do crazy stuff to get it. He's doing stuff to get attention right now. But, like, he's not after what his brother has. And it, it makes it seem like he really does care about his family. And he does care about Rhaenyra. And he does care about uh, Viserys. So you again complex it's not a, a, a solely singular vision from him he's he's actually kind of complex yeah i think and i think part of it is also to you know he needs to be complex because and i talked about this last week i still think there's some trouble here with like really getting you know some sympathy going for any of these main characters honestly and you know, that was like the best part about Game of Thrones and what made it so enthralling to watch is that you have your favorites among the characters and then you never know whether they're going to live or die because the whole, you know, the reason that the show really became so popular is because you had no clue that the brutality of this era meant that nobody was safe. Whereas right now it's like everybody is as safe as they possibly could be because they're all in, you know, positions of immense power. And we know that they aren't going to kill off any of the royalty like super suddenly in the way that Game of Thrones would kill off, you know, members of the Stark family willy nilly. And then combined with the fact that these people are in positions of immense power and are not victims of insane cruelty yet there. It's it's hard to really like, you know, you root for them because they are your main characters you're inclined to. And that's just the nature of storytelling. But I think so far they still have a bit of a job ahead of them as far as really establishing some like sympathetic viewpoints that make people get really truly invested into what's happening instead of watching as sort of a macabre interest into seeing how terrible everything will or how terribly everything will blow up, even though we all know that's eventually what happens due to the fact that it's pretty. You do feel like most of the people are safe. You're starting to feel maybe like the king is losing a grip a little bit. And that was pretty evident in this episode. And it feels like everybody likes the king, too. There's not like this split thing. He's like, he's a good guy, but you, you feel like he's not the best king overall. And you saw some tension in this episode around him. You saw he's still getting... He still has the wounds that won't heal. He has now one on his finger that he cut his finger on the throne and it won't heal. And he had that one on his back. We don't quite know why, but things aren't getting better and they're getting worse. And so that's probably why they're rushing him to get married and have another heir. He also, one of the scenes I really loved, and, and I think this is the one that's going to get uh, a lot of talking points is uh, Rhaenyra and Rhaenys had that, conversation about how no woman will ever sit on the iron throne and it's when Rhaenyra is watching her father walk with Rhaenys' daughter and the 12 year old who could potentially be her mother-in-law or her stepmom um and and Rhaenys basically who was supposed to be queen but she got she did she lost the vote at the at the big you know lord convention to pick the next king um it basically tells her i don't think you know how things work 
because she keeps trying to, you know, insert herself and do the, you know, do more than just be the cupbearer at these small council meetings and all of that. And she's like, the thing, the difference between us is I know how things work. You don't. I know that men would tear this place to the ground before they're going to allow a woman to sit on the Iron Throne. And uh, Rhaenyra is like, nope, I'm going to prove myself. I'm going to make this happen. And you're, you're sort of watching this happen and you're sort of like, oh, Rhaenyra, it's not going to happen. Like, you you just, you know, it's not going to happen. Something's going to come up and 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 take that spot. And I think what's interesting about Game of Thrones and about this show and, and about also a show like, uh, it reminds me of a show like Mad Men too, where it's like women are almost secondary characters to begin with, but they drive the action of the show. And that was true of Mad Men. It was true of Game of Thrones. And it's, it feels like it's true of this. The women are going to drive the action of the show. And it's very interesting because it's a world where men dominate, but the women are the most important characters. And you saw that happen in Game of Thrones. Throughout Game of Thrones, in the beginning, it wasn't that way, but it developed. And you had all these women, these strong female characters that wound up pushing the action. I feel like that's exactly what's going to happen with this show. And it's great. It's so different than most of what's on TV, especially in a a world that's, you know, it's not the medieval times, but it's based on that kind of world where men dominate, yet you're going to have the women driving the action. Yeah, but the uh, difference there is that these women are very obviously main characters, which I For think... Sure. They're main characters from good. the jump, yeah. Yeah. And that scene stood out to me because I think it's it really illustrates one of the main differences between this show and between Game of Thrones, which is back to the showing and telling thing. That was a lot of telling. That was Rain is spelling out all of the implications of the king getting married to the ignorant princess. Whereas in regular uh, in the first Game of Thrones series, I don't think they would have done that. I think they would have either assumed that the audience was smart enough to get that, or they would have shown it in a, like a different manner. This way, they were just had like a basically two minute conversation where it's like, oh, well, that's the, the entire conflict for Rhaenyra for probably this entire show. And there will be like minor conflicts throughout, but that kind of they just kind of laid it all out there. Whether you like it or dislike it, it is different from Game of Thrones. And it plays again into the kind of congested plot where they're like, there's going to be, you know, some shady dealings. There's going to be twists you don't expect. And there's going to be all those standard aspects, but you're not going to spend a lot of time struggling to understand really what's going on or how the pieces fit. It's obvious how the pieces fit. It's about what's going to happen in the intermediary that is going to be the driving interest for the show. And that's more stereotypical. That's kind of how, you know, most TV shows do it. It's what Game of Thrones didn't necessarily do. And I, that's part of the reason why it's so popular. But I think it's obvious that at this point, the show isn't trying to be Game of Thrones as far as the minutia of how they get from point A to point B. Yeah, it's different showrunners. It's different script writers. It's, you know, it's very different in how it's going. And, and I think that, I do think that over time, you're going to see this show sort of establish itself much differently than Game of Thrones. It's the same world, so there are going to be similarities. There's going to be the crazy fights and wars and bloods and blood and guts or whatever, because that's the world we're living in in this show. Uh, but I do think they're going to continue to try and sort of establish a different narrative style and, and stuff. And, and honestly, I think it'll be refreshing to fans of the original show, because the last season and a half of that show's narrative arc was not fun. And it was not, you know, it, it, it really dragged and, and it struggled. It was, it was, it, it dragged, but at the same time it was going too fast. And it was a weird mix for that. So I, I do think it's refreshing. Um, I really liked the first episode as an establishing episode. This continued to establish things, but you feel like it's not, you're not going to have to wait long for action to happen in the show. 
Yeah, that's very true. And I think that with their what appears to be willingness and perhaps generous usage of time jumps in the upcoming episodes, that helps eliminate a lot of the overextension problems that Game of Thrones ran into once they ran out of source material, where it's like, what do we do with all of these people scattered all over the continent? I think that the, this show definitely isn't going to do that. And it's both an aspect of learning from their predecessors, but also just the nature of the story that they're choosing to tell here has a pretty limited cast. First two episodes, as far as establishing what's going on, pretty good, pretty good. Uh, I think it'll probably get to three or four before they really launch into, you know, the extended kind of Game of Thrones intrigue without much setting up that we're used to. But, you know, it's a little, that'll be something to watch is kind of how long they wait to kind of unfold everything before really digging in. Yeah, and, and uh, for those who don't know, the next uh, episode is called The Heirs of the Dragon, which leads us to believe there will be yet another uh, claimant to the throne coming into the mix. So I think that w- things, I, I, stuff's going to go down pretty fast. I, I really don't think this is going to be the kind of thing where, like Game of Thrones, the first season you really waited. There was a little action in, in individual uh, episodes, but you really waited until, I don't know, about episode six or seven before things actually started happening. And uh, you really waited two seasons for a big battle uh you know was battle of the blackwater was the biggest one um so yeah i think that there's there is uh some momentum here to some to some stuff happening that i think will be really interesting that it will and as always we finish our podcast with a rating for what we are reviewing uh second episode have to put it in tandem with the first episode I gave the first episode a four. I'd probably put this one a little bit higher, like a 4.2, 4.3. Not quite a 4.5, but I liked the established characters. There was some good plot development, and it's very clear where everything is heading. And then the introduction of the weird, creepy crab feeder, I think, might end up being my favorite part of the show because it is these weird, wonky villains that are something out of a Lovecraftian horror that really make game of thrones enjoyable for me personally so i'm looking forward to see how that unfolds yeah i uh i got it at i, I think the first episode i had it about a four also four out of five and this i i agree that this one was better i think that it, it took a little step up and it might just be the natural thing of you're not constantly being like wait who's that you know i mean you kind of get the world now so i would say about a 4.4 for this one uh inching up towards a five i think that that, that this show is going to be one that builds and gets better i really do feel that the, the cast is great. All the actors are doing a great job in the roles. No one stands out where you're like, that's kind of weird. Like, they're all kind of doing their thing. And uh, so I've appreciated that so far as well. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to this episode of The Big Stream. Be sure to check out our previous episodes. And we will be back next week to see what kind of horrors have befallen the Targaryen family. I'm Liam McEwen. This is Ryan Phillips. Thank you, folks. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.